and welcome to a brief interlude in the RWA coverage of the DBSA podcast. I'm Sarah Wendell from Smart Bitches Trashy Books, and instead of a group of interviews today, I have a long interview with Sassy Atwater, Pratik Patel, and Laurel Montgomery as we talk about accessibility for blind readers, and I interview Sassy, and I also interview her guide dog, Kodak. So I hope you enjoy this interview about accessibility. I am Sassy Atwater. I am a totally blind author, and I write contemporary romantic suspense and urban fantasy, and I'm here pimping out my books, um, which hopefully will be published soon, and I am also here presenting on becoming an accessible author, making your books accessible to blind and visually impaired and print disabled readers. And um, the most important thing I want to people to know, um, your book can be in every hand in the world, you just gotta help make it that way. I think that's the simplest way to put it is we need authors and publishers, editors and agents to be aware that right now there's a severely limited um, resource for blind people to access books and that can change due to the fact that we have a zillion ways to make it happen in the digital market today. We just need help from the publishing industry to make that happen. And you, sir? Um, I'm Pratik Patel. I'm the CEO of this little company in New York called Easy Fire. Um, and the main reason why I'm here was to present um, on a panel that talks about making your books accessible. Um, one of the services that we provide as a business is uh, to work with authors, to work with publishers. I've worked with a lot of publishers in the higher ed um, and the textbook industry. Uh, to make their books accessible. And one of the services we're starting to offer is for free, freelance um, editors and freelance converters uh, who produce various digital formats to make, make those uh, formats accessible to blind and visually impaired people. Um, and one of the most important things that I want to convey to your listeners is that it's really not that hard to make your books accessible. There are very few steps that you need to take or the converter needs to take to make that book accessible and we want to make sure that you know that. What are the questions that an author should ask their publisher or the person who's creating their digital files for them? What is it, what is it that they should ask for and what should happen? Where should those files be so that blind readers can find them? Blind and visually impaired readers have access to books in about five or six different places. iBooks, Google Books, um, the National Library Service for the Blind and Physically Handicapped, a website called bookshare.org, and... Not piracy. Not piracy. <laughs> this is true. It is totally legal. Um, <laughs> not a bunch of torrenting blind people, I promise. Well, yeah. No. Um, and the other way is through audiobooks. There are websites and resources out there, and authors... It is the author needs to take the initiative and do a search and find out where their books are available, what books aren't available. So if you go to iBooks, if you go to Google Books and go to Bookshare and look to see which of your titles are up there and which ones aren't, and then you contact your publisher with a list of titles that you would like to see up there, the publisher, because they are the ones who hold the copyright usually, unless you are a self-published author, um, are the ones who are responsible for putting your books out there in that format. Um, they hold the publishing rights to that, that material, and so they would be the ones to actually go and, and physically put it there. But mm -hmm. it starts with the author talking to the publisher and saying, hey, I have a whole demographic of readers that 
a readership that can't get my books right now, mm -hmm. and I would like them to be able to do so. Can we work together to make that happen? Yeah. Um, publishers usually won't say no. They just usually don't know how to do it. And, and there's always like two people who know how. Right. And the editor's got to go find them. That In a house full of like a bazillion people, you know. Well, so. there's actually only about eight people in publishing, and the rest is done with mirrors. But we'll just, <laughs> pretend, we'll just pretend. Now, the key figure from the presentation that seemed to resonate with the audience the most was that there are three million. 30 million. 30 million. Excuse me. Do you see how I don't remember numbers? 30 million visually impaired readers in the U.S. alone. And visually impaired readers read five times as much books as sighted people. Yep. So you're talking about 150 million books read in the U.S. Cha-ching! Yeah. Money, 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 money. I'm money. thinking major money. No, I'm going to find the sound effect for like a cash register and just drop it in right there. <laughs> Once I discovered the sound effects file in GarageBand, it, was just, it just opened a whole new world. The whip sound, yeah. Um, oh, yes. So I think that people don't realize that we go through, I can read because my computer, I have what's called a screen reader, which takes text and turns it into speech. Right. Um, so I listen, and I can read a 400-page book in about three hours. Um, that's a lot of reading, and I'm a bookworm. I'm a pretty voracious reader, and most blind people I know would rather pick up a book um, than sit down and watch something on TV where they only get about half the content. So, I mean, maybe I'm speaking incorrectly critique on oh, that. No, but no, you're not. <laughs> I think not most of us would TV. rather get the full no. experience than about 50 to 80% of the experience depending on the show. So anyway, yeah, um, I would rather pick up a book. And unfortunately, the books I can actually go pick up are pretty limited. There is a, a tiny slice of the pie that is actually available to me as far as literature goes. And it's our goal to kind of see that turned on its ass. Um, change that up a little bit because... Right now, things are just totally, it's an open market. Anybody can do this. Anyone can, can make this happen. It just actually has to happen. It's just a, a matter of learning and knowing. And think about it. 30 million print-disabled readers in the population, uh, five times the amount of books, that's 150 million books. To be read. Oof. Now, There's change in that. It seems to me that one of the things that our presentation sort of answers is the question for anybody, well, why is the iBook store important? Well, the iBook store is important because every Apple device is accessible, and it makes reading a book a lot easier if you can get it from the iBook store onto your iDevice. iBooks, Apple, uh, my life runs on Apple. It, it all has that pretty little design, not just because my dog loves to steal apples and is a horrible apple slut, but because I exist on Apple. Um, so the iBook store is a necessary medium for people who want to reach blind readers. Absolutely. Apple created a product years ago um, that came built in. All of their Macs, all of their iBooks, iPads, or excuse me, iPhones, iPads, everything is universally completely accessible. universally accessible. I go in, I turn on a feature, and it talks to me. Bang, I'm done. So... To have your books available on iTunes, I can pull it up on my Mac, I can pull it up on my iPad, I can pull it up on my iPhone. Wherever I'm doing, wherever I am, I can read your book, which is exactly what you can do with a Kindle, but I can't because a Kindle is not right now accessible to me. But an iPhone, an iPad, a Mac is. So if you have your book on iBooks, and I can go on there and search you by your name, see that your book is there, hit the little buy button, You're suddenly not. 30 seconds later, I'm reading... That only yeah. happened for the blind population about three or four years ago. Before that, we would have to wait a year or more sometimes for a book to be available either through audio or through 
Braille if it was ever done. If it's now, ever done. If it's ever done. Uh -uh. now it's instant gratification, which I love. Oh, I like that too. So, how much how much romance is available to you as a blind reader? Oh, not a lot. Not enough. Not a lot. A lot more? of the lines and a lot of the small published houses, they just don't do it, and it's not expensive. That's the other thing I want. Like Pratik said, it's not expensive to do this. It's not hard to do this. You're already digitizing files. You're already digitizing. You're just you're already doing it. So do it. Yeah. Do it. One Absolutely. more steps, and you're in. Totally. And, you know, making your books available and making yourself as an author, your web presence accessible to us so that we know that your books are out there and we can go get them and find mm -hmm. them, and, you know, that's going to They sell. will be found. Exactly. Put it out there, we will come. What about you, Pratik? What do you like to read? I like all sorts of things. I actually love romance. Um, you are the man. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm not afraid to admit it. I, I, that's, I just want you to know, that's hot. <laughs> no, but no, Laurel's like, yes. Laurel Montgomery's also here. Say hi. Hi. Yeah. And Laura, yes, that's, that's Laurel totally and I hot. are both nodding at you. That is my <laughs> kick-ass critique partner sitting over in that chair. And yeah. I can tell you from the first-hand experience, she reads what I write, and she has to come up with pretty creative ways to troubleshoot, but she does the one extra small step, and it makes it accessible to me. She takes the so time to do the one little thing, and it makes it completely accessible. You write and then convert it to a format that Sassy can read for critiquing your work. Other way around. We oh. critique for each other, and, right. and Sassy and I, um, in Microsoft, if you use the comments function, mm -hmm. that works for a sighted reader because you see the comments. They pop up. She yeah. doesn't see them. If she doesn't happen to roll over them, she's not going to know they're there. there. So we invented our own system. Sassy was the one that suggested it. She puts in double asterisks. Or I put in double asterisks if I have a comment. So she just does a search for double asterisks. And then you hear the comments. And then she hears the comments. So like, it's almost in line. It's almost in line the text. It is. That's how yeah. we do it. We do it in line. And I never change any, even if it's a typo, I never change anything I always use the double asterisk because if I change it and send it back to her and she's using a saved file instead of the file I've sent back, It'll yeah, then it, she won't, it, it's, I mean, and that's just a copy edit, a typo, right. no big deal, she might not catch it. That's the whole trick to being an accessible author or an accessible product is just making a couple little changes that make the world of difference. It's not hard. It's not a big, expensive thing to do, and it's not impossible. No. It is now with the advent of EPUB and, and digital books available, it's so super easy. It just takes it thinking outside of the box. And it takes a very little thing to do. Like, you know, if, you, if you've got a little picture in your book, just describe it. A caption. A caption. It's that simple for, you know, for many books. Especially in the romance genre, you're not really talking about complicated textbooks. Mm -hmm. You're not talking about sidebars. You're not talking about tables. It's not a chart. No. It's not a chart. Um, Unless, well, okay, remember that chart that you put up, what flavor of romance book are you? Oh, and then I read it. Yeah, she Badly. read it. She, oh, it was terrible. <laughs> no, but she also made it accessible. She yes. went, She Sarah thought ahead. She thought, how are my blind readers going to access this little chart that I'm going to post on my blog? And she thought up a way to do it. Yeah, I and read an MP3 and then embedded the MP3 in the entry. And that's what it takes is just thinking outside of the box and considering your readership. When you think about YA, you think about what that age demographic is going to read. When you think about historical romance, you think of who would be reading that. It is a natural part of the publishing process to consider the market that you're selling to. Right. Just consider one more market, the print disabled market, and make the changes that you would make for any other market that you're publishing to. And that market goes all across mm -hmm. by, in every single category. You know, we hear often from 
people or companies who tell us that, oh, they're, people with disabilities are not a part of our target population. What does that really mean? I mean, every person has a potential of being disabled at one point or another. Right. Or, or maybe disabled, who's not really identifying him or herself to you as a, as a customer who's disabled. So it's about reaching that particular person. You make the, your book um, accessible and available to the person the first time, they're going to come back and read your book again. Yes. Or, or another book that you publish. Or other books that your publisher publishes. So it's not only about one book. It's a cascading effect that goes all across different categories. So what are some books that you have read recently that really rock, that you really enjoyed? The Patrick Rothfuss Name of the Wind series. Oh my gosh. It's not necessarily romance, but it does have romantic elements. There's a, a love relationship going on through the book. I'm hooked. I'm in like Flynn, and I'm reading that on audio. That's the other thing. And there's actually some hot sex. Oh my god. Book. I haven't gotten but there yet. Stop I'm, it. <laughs> oh. Oh. Done. I'm going upstairs. I am like locking myself in my room and I'm reading. I'll see y'all later. I just, yeah. Bye. Hey. <laughs> um, no, I love that book and I'm reading it on audiobook because the performance is done so well. Nick Fodell is the narrator and he's kicking ass all over the place really? and taking names on that. Um, that to me says a, when the author and the narrator feel on the same page and they can read a great audiobook together, it's a performance. It's and that's. Worth worth investing your time and your money in. It is, and I want to make that point, is that sometimes authors get the idea, or publishers especially get the idea, that if the book is available in audio, they don't have to do anything else that's, it's, that's accessible, and that's not exactly true. I enjoy a performance as much as the next person, but if I want to be able to speed read a book and just get through it and know what the book is, and I really, really, really have been waiting for eight months for this book to come out, like Shannon Stacy's Slow Summer Kisses, I was on pins and needles waiting for this book to come out. It finally comes out. I just want to fly through that thing and read it and totally so go, oh my God, a, yeah. Did you use a computer reader? To I went that? on iBooks. I downloaded that thing. I was hooked. I was just, oh, I like you know, I was sitting there reading there. I like that story a lot. Yeah, it was a great, a great story. Have and you heard Richard Armitage reading Georgette Hare? No. Oh my God. Do I need some of this? Yes. They are unfortunately abridged, but his reading of Sylvester is really good. Is it orgasmic? Oh, yes, it is. All right. I need some And I, was, I downloaded it onto my Kindle, which has really shitty speakers, at the very last minute and drove up to Connecticut. I figured I'll just listen to this. And there was, my car does not have an auxiliary audio port, so I couldn't plug my Kindle into the stereo. I actually sat with my back against the seat, pinning the Kindle upside down between oh my, my shoulder blade <laughs> and the headrest so that the speaker would be behind my ear, and I would hear, you've done that, thank you, because I don't want to drive with headphones on, that's dangerous. Yeah. So I'm pinning the Kindle to my back of the seat with my shoulder blade and driving with one arm, listening to Richard Armitage over my right shoulder for two hours. Nice. Wow. Brilliantly <laughs> worth it. Even being uncomfortable was worth listening to Richard Armitage read Georgette Fair. Oh, that's fine. What about you? Some, uh, you know, talk about it's a perfect example, perfect bad example of an audiobook narrator. Um, Stephen King sometimes likes to read his own books. Oh, God. Awful idea. Never read a book by Stephen King that's narrated by him. If you are, um, this brings me to a perfect point. If you are a self-published author and you want your book done in audio, so easy to do. There is a website called acx.com. Um, those of us who do voiceover narration and audio narration are there. Um, you can hook up with independent audiobook producers and a narrator and pick your own narrator. You can audition the narrators and find a good one that you think can reflect your book and done well. 
and then boom, they produce it for you, and you've got an audiobook. It's that simple. Pratik, what books have you enjoyed lately? Um, oh, that's a tough question. Um, <laughs> give me a second. <laughs> <laughs> no pressure. I want you guys to know, by the way, that over to your left on the wall is a Wii, and kids can just like pick up the Wii controller and play Wii Sports in the lobby of the hotel. I think we need to have a moment where the blind girl goes and plays Wii. And just <laughs> <laughs> I would. I think I might have to tweet and sell tickets. <laughs> blind girls playing Wii, two o'clock lobby. Hey, when I was recovering from my tumor, they had a, a Wii in front of the couch where I was laying around, and uh, the kids that I was staying with at the time at my friend's house totally thought it was the most awesome thing to play bowling with me on the Wii. <laughs> How we spent our time all afternoon while I had, you know, surgery scars all over my head, we just played Wii bowling, and I missed pretty much every shot. It was That's awesome. totally excellent. <laughs> Have you thought of a book yes, critique? All right, bring it. Um, so recently I've been rereading, actually, um, Lois McMaster Boudreaux's... Uh, I love her. The, mm-hmm. um, the Miles series. Miles uh, the uh, Mile Cosigan? series. And I reread the entire <gasps> series. Um, it is an awesome series because Miles is such a fascinating character. A crazy, nuts character, but just absolutely, you know, gorgeously done. Great pros, great characters. Kodak, can I interview you? What do you have to say? Sniffing? No, nothing? <laughs> so is Sassy like really a big pain in the... Okay, I'll rub your belly. <laughs> All right, so I'm rubbing Kodak's belly. We need an apple, then he would talk to so you. Is so there, is, there, is Sassy a giant pain in the butt, or do you just love her? You just love her, I know. Let's talk about the Avon signing. That would oh, my good. God. Okay. <laughs> so we're leaving our, our session, and the Avon signing and the Harlequin signing are going on. And sign-printed books are of absolutely no use to Sassy, but I figured she might want to re- meet some of the authors. So Laurel took Kodak out for some private moment in the bushes, and um, I walked Sassy around the signing so she could meet some authors. And we come back to the Avon signing, and Kodak has been sniffing the perimeter of the room because he knows that she was there. And then we walk in, and he drags Laurel all the way over and just leans up against Sassy and looks at her like, oh, you're here. (laughs) You're here, and I love you. Because you feed me, and that's the only reason why. You feed me, oh. So Cody is a giant, is he a yellow lab? Yes. Is he a pure yellow lab? Yes. He's getting a belly rub right now. (laughs) Oh, a giant dog. So does Cody fly well? Yes. He's a good boy. Picks up all my foot space to sleep. Yeah, he's a, you know, Coach gets smaller and smaller. I mean, he, didn't, he might not fit. Uh, he, fits. Me, he fits. He fits. He just makes me turn into a small human. I, I become a pretzel. It's pretty incredible to watch. Um, so the dog gets all the space he wants. And the then human you just, you just make, around, make, make room around him? I, well, I'm on the back end of the leash. I know my place. Behind <laughs> the dog. <laughs> So when you're flying, are people like, do people know how to, to handle flying with a blind passenger or do you have to like educate people every time you get on the plane? <laughs> um, sometimes. Um, it can get very interesting. Going through security is a quite a special experience. Oh, yes. um, I've gotten stopped because I had a dog bone in my luggage with um, like lamb in it. Yeah. And they assumed that the dog bone was like an explosive device. Um, with the dog next to you? Yeah. They're thinking that I'm, I probably I'm sorry, Cody. I'll rub horrible. your belly. <laughs> he's, he's waving his paw like, "Hello, excuse me. Excuse me who gave you permission to stop?" Woman, who? What the hell? <laughs> Slacker. He's a good boy. He's a good dog. He's like waving his one arm. 
Where's your doggy? He's a big boy. He's a big shedding boy. My God, you're exploding. <laughs> so Cody flies well. Yes. Yeah. Black pants. Shake. Shake, shake, shake. Oh, okay. I'll rub your head some more. He just put his head on my foot. Hi. <laughs> you forgot about me. So Cody flies well and you fly well, but flying people don't necessarily fly well with you. Most, a lot of people are thrilled to be sitting next to a working, a working service dog. A lot of people are not. They are, you know, allergic to dogs or they're scared. Or, I understand that, yeah. Yeah, I mean, and that's fine, but then there are people who, you know, don't think the dog should be on a plane or... Oh, bite me. Yeah, pretty much. I'm like, okay, if you take my eyeballs off the plane, you can take yours out too. That's the right. way I look at I it mean, is don't tell my eyeballs to have, stay at the door if you just If, if you have an assistance in. dog, if you have a service dog, your dog is, is welcome everywhere, right? I mean, it's the law you, that he has to be able to It is in. the law. Usually he's welcome. There are some places, especially like places where people don't know the laws, like uh, if they're where are you going? foreign, that would be a good question. Where are you going? I need to see you. Hi. Kodak has barged into the middle of our little gathering. Yes, um, he is. He is all up against the and whole. And look at the pile of fur. Oh yes, and I've got fur on, fur on my legs. I feel like I'm at home. Uh -huh. So you're allowed to take him anywhere. Yep. The dog goes anywhere and everywhere with me, except for like sanitized places and hospitals. Mm -hmm. um, nothing like being wheeled into hospital until you know. Yeah, that's an interesting experience with a dog. Um, hospitals, zoos are the only other places where they don't get to go um because it's alarming for them and for the animals yeah if a, if a monkey sees a dog walking up to him i'm sure the monkey's not going to be too pleased with that scenario right and know. that's just for that's mostly for your right. safety and the dog's safety and the yes. zoo's safety uh, yes that makes sense but what is it that you want to see at a zoo the smell <laughs> this is a very good question. The I mean, penguin exhibit is probably exceptionally nice. Yeah. <laughs> well we have a zoo where i live and they don't have like lions and tigers and bears. They have a lot of musk oxen, and it smells. Yeah, <laughs> I mean it's just a stinky zoo. Yeah, I don't. I, really I go cool for penguins, the but it smells. What I go for the kid factor. If I have friends, I don't have kids. With kids, yet, so you go to the zoo with them so yeah. and see the zoo. I, I don't think so. I'm sorry. Yes, Pratik, you are you are the, you are there until Cody decides it's time to get up. Now. I am his human. Yes, he's sitting on your feet. <laughs> he's very fuzzy. He's very cute. So is Cody a very popular guide dog? Do people like really want to come and say hi to him? Uh, he's the rock star. I'm just the groupie behind the, <laughs> the bodyguard. So what is the etiquette of greeting someone with a guide dog? Um, just ask. And that's the etiquette of greeting anybody with a disability about anything. If just you have ask. a question, just ask. As long as you're not trying to offend me, I usually will not take offense to pretty much anything that's asked of me. And I've been asked some pretty crazy questions. Um... Yeah, just ask. Um, if the dog's harness is in my hand, I'm usually working, or if I'm going someplace, um, you know, that's usually not the right time because if you distract the guide dog, then you are endangering the person who's hanging right. onto that harness, and I could run into something, yeah, fall off a thing, or something could, bad could happen, and right. then you'd feel really bad. So don't do that. But My understanding was if the, if this, if this, the harness, which is mm -hmm. the, the hard, straight part of the dog's collar, if that's yep. in your hand, he's working. Exactly. You never pet a dog while he's working. Pet, look, talk to. I mean, pretty much just ignore him as if he's my eyes and they're looking at something else. Right. You know? But as long as he's um, off duty, like right now where he's totally schmoozing. Yeah, um, he's relaxed. You know, then he's, he's totally. He's very good at relaxing. He is very good. He's very skilled at relaxing, yeah. sort of full body. Do, does he launch epic dog farts? Oh my God. <laughs> I, I convinced Sassy to feed him a Brussels sprout. <laughs> <laughs> Let's just say the result.
all consumed can kill all life at 50 feet. <laughs> I'm pretty sure he stripped the paint. I, mean, I went down the hall to a friend who was, we were staying in kind of a dorm situation. I was going through federal job training and they like to stuff you in dorms and do terrible things. Um, but I went down to my friend and I went, do you want to adopt a dog because I'm getting rid of mine? I can't live. Oh my God, my room is at toxic zone right now. His nickname now is Brussels Fart. Brussels Fart. Brussels Fart. <laughs> it's horrible. So is this your third service dog? This is my second. I had a, another dog, but it was dog switch due to the fact that it liked cats more than it liked being a guide dog. So yes, That's always this is, problematic. Uh, yeah. But how's Cody doing as a guide dog? Is he a good dog? Cody is eight years old and he's still going strong. Not a not a moment's hesitation. He's fabulous guy. Yes, he's great at lounging, but he's also kick ass at, at negotiating subways, Boston, uh, LAX, Los Angeles. I mean, this dog can fly through a crowd and cross the street like nobody's business. And he, he knows exactly how to work with you. Work hard, play hard. Yes, he does. So We've do been you, together long enough. Do you but. take him to the vet like regularly? Does oh, he have yeah. to go extra and get like special attention? Yep. Um, guide dogs have a really high health standard. They have to be in top form because if my dog is sick, I don't get to go do anything, you know. And if the like, dog's down, so is a human. So labs, so. I know, are prone to, like, hip dysplasia and things mm -hmm. like that. With the amount that he walks, I'm sure his joints are probably heavily monitored by the best, too. Yeah, they get tested. They get physicals. They get their eyes looked at. Right now, mine's going through some eye trouble. We may have an eye problem, but we're, we're doing some more testing to find out. I have to go back Monday and, and get his eyes looked at, but... Um, everything about them is, is pretty heavily monitored just to make sure that they stay in top condition. Like right. a like a Navy SEAL. I consider guide dogs to be like the Navy SEALs of service dogs because most service dogs have to just obey commands. Guide dogs have to think for themselves. So if he sees um, a dangerous situation and I'm telling him go forward he and walk right into the situation, you. he has to disobey me and say, no, that's not safe. I'm going to decide to do something else and show you why I decided to do that. And he can communicate. You mm -hmm. know why he's disobeying. Oh, yeah. And it's not like somebody has an apple. Well, he has, to teach, he has to teach me why he's disobeying. He has to communicate that to me. So he has a lot on his plate. Uh, being a guide dog is a pretty stressful job. You were trying to get me through Avon today, and you went, this is not easy. I'm looking up trying to read the signs, and I'm looking oh, no, around at people moving. Yeah. It's not easy to be somebody's elbow. And, and you know, being a guide dog, that's a tough job. It's hard. especially with guiding critique because we go fast and we just barrel through people. <laughs> <laughs> he does late. like to run over people. Yeah, I so like to stop thing. and chat. So, mm -hmm. so that actually must be hard because most guide dogs are larger breeds and mm -hmm. larger breeds live 8 to 12 years. They do. My previous guide dog just passed away in May. He was Sorry. 14. Uh, you know what? It was time. It was. It's a very hard experience to go through retiring a guide dog. When they get to a certain age and they just can't work anymore or don't want to work anymore, the kindest thing to do is to let them be a pet for a while and enjoy the last part of their years relaxing and being a professional couch potato. I just say he switched careers and he became a couch potato. So what um, breeds make good guide dogs? I know I've seen shepherds and labs and goldens. Shepherds are being phased out because they can sometimes be territorial and they can have some aggression yeah, issues sometimes. Yeah. Um, labs are the most commonly used. Golden retrievers are also heavily used. Um, labs like to think for themselves. They like to be independent and inquisitive and so they make great guides. Goldens love to follow the rules, so they make great guides for people who are low vision, mm -hmm. um, who have some vision um, and can see a little bit but not enough. So that's actually a cue. If you see somebody with a golden retriever, that, that may be likely that they have some vision of their own. It's not always. A, it's yeah, not always. Yeah, not always. Not always. There be. are plenty of totals who also have totally blind people who have um, goldens, but they, they get used a lot for low vision. What about, like, Great Danes? <laughs> A, I don't think he'd fit under the plane. Yes. That would be so awesome. I'm kind of a fashion like junkie, and the drool like factor. 
Thank you, right? Great yeah. are truly, they're awesome dogs, but they don't uh -huh. live very long. No, no they no, live they less than eight years, most of them. Yeah. yeah. Six is, you know, Six is ancient lucky. for a great day. It yeah. takes a good year of constant work together to really get the guide dog bond heavily well established. Um, Sounds like a paranormal romance. <laughs> well, it's going to be. It is. Sassy finishes right in the book. Yes, my book is called Karma is a Bitch, and it's about what happens when a werewolf decides to be really stupid and bite an angel. The angel curses her into the form of a guide dog, and she's <laughs> the human from inside the guide dog narrating nice. um, what happens it's, in her way to becoming a human absolutely again. Absolutely hysterical. So awesome. It's called Karma is a now? Bitch. That's what you're shopping now? Karma yes. Is a bitch? The name is Karma is a Bitch, and Karma really is a bitch. The guide dog's name is Karma. So, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I hope you enjoyed that um, brief interview with Sassy and Kodak and Pratik and Laurel. I learned a lot about making books accessible to blind readers and how blind readers read just from putting this session together. Um, it is going to be available online. We're going to do a slideshow online and make a lot of the handouts available as well for download. So if you want to learn more, there's going to be more information on my site and also on Pratik's site. So look for that very soon. The music is actually Sassy Outwater. That's Sassy playing the violin. That is called Fiddler on the Loose, and she recorded it just for the podcast a long time ago, so I'm reusing it. All of the music that we receive for the podcast comes from Sassy. Either she produces it or she's friends with the musicians. And she asked me to let you know that if there's any particular type of music you would like to hear or some music that you'd like her to find, do let us know. You can email us at sbjpodcast at gmail.com. And in the next podcast, I'll have interviews with various people who have been here at RWA working hard. So you'll hear more from the conference and more from me. And in the meantime, I hope you're enjoying the very best of reading. <laughs>